no helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I'm never saying he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a off. How'd you play out there today? Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging. Mostly because there's no grass on the golf course. But there never has been. I'm thinking about the swag bag. And I high hopes for the swag bag. Trap. When you got three crevices on the green, your course is trash. What's happening, folks? Welcome back. Beltway Golfer Podcast, episode 34. Alex Dixon here. Our very first podcast was with National Links Trust co-founder Mike McCartan uh, just before they won the bid to operate three golf courses on National Park Service land in Washington, D.C. For episode 19, we sat down with Will Smith, Mike's co-founder, about a month after they officially took over operation of the three courses, so well after they, they won that bid. This week is the one-year anniversary of National Links Trust uh, operating the three courses, so we thought it was a perfect time to uh, uh, do another podcast on the project. For this week's episode, uh, Tim Krebs is joining us. While Tim technically is not an employee of National Links Trust, uh, he is employed by Troon Golf, who is the management company that uh, National Links Trust brought in to run the three courses and was a part of the, uh, the winning bid uh, with the National Park Service. Uh, Tim knows these courses just about as, as well as anybody because he spent almost 10 years uh, as the director of golf for the previous operator, Golf Course Specialists, Inc., uh, who is the concessionaire for uh, Rock Creek, Langston, and East Potomac for, I don't know, uh, at least 20, 30 years. I'm not sure how long exactly. So Tim uh, had left D.C. Uh, he talks about it, you know, in the conversation. Um, but uh, but Troon brought him back as soon as uh, NLT won this won this lease to operate three courses. So it was great to, uh, to sit down with Tim and kind of understand his role running the three courses uh, from a day-to-day -day operational standpoint. Um, how uh, budget and, and spending kind of works with National Links Trust being a, a 501c3. Um, and it was just fun to just kind of get down there and, 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 and stay close to the project as close as we can, which we will continue to do, um, and, uh, and get to know Tim a little bit better, not just uh, what he's doing day in, day out, but a little bit more about his background. And of course, before we get to the episode, i uh, got to bring up four craft cocktails. Go to fourcraftcocktails.com that's f-o-r-e craftcocktails with an s dot com to find out where you can buy their pre-mixed premium transfusion in a can not a mixer it's already got vodka grape juice ginger ale lime juice uh, in the can ready to drink ready for the course ready for your backyard barbecue ready for your practice session uh, based in richmond uh, now available in Northern Virginia. Go to the website, fourcraftcocktails.com, to find out where you can buy it. Supporting Fourcraft Cocktails is a form of supporting Beltway Golfer Podcast, so please go check them out. Uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say, because I don't do a good job of, of saying this on the, on, the, uh, on the podcast episodes, but if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the podcast, you know, give us a rating. Um, hopefully it's not a bad one. If it is a bad one, shoot us a note as well on how uh, we can make this podcast better. 
Um, that's it. Here it is. Episode 34, Beltway Golfer, Tim Krebs, Area Director of Golf Operations for Troon and National Links Trust, overseeing East Potomac Golf Links, Langston Golf, and Rock Creek Park Golf Course. Enjoy. We're out here at uh, East Potomac Park. Uh, perfect timing. We've got uh, the sounds of Reagan National Airport. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> part of the deal. Planes going off right behind us. Uh, but we're right next to the first tee, in between the first tee and the blue course and the putting green. Yeah. Uh, how are you? Good, good. I appreciate you uh, coming on Beltway Golfer Podcast. My um, pleasure. We've, uh, I think we've got a lot to talk about. This is the, the third podcast I've done essentially with the National Links Trust. Right. Although, let me start there. Are you, are you a National Links Trust employee or are you an employee of Troon? Uh, I'm an employee of Troon. Okay. But, you know, in D.C., with all the relationships and everybody around town, um, most people know me through National Links Trust, right? Troon and the division of Troon called Honors Golf, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. They were essentially contracted by National Links Trust right. to operate the three courses. Do I have that right? Right. When they won the bid from the National Park Service to get these courses for 50 years, they yep. immediately signed Troon. Uh, up and contracted them to manage the courses for them. And so Troon, I think NLT has a 50-year lease and Troon has a 40-year contract running these courses for NLT. And so, let's back up a step. So your role, what is, what is your title? What is your role? What is your responsibility? So, so my, <laughs> my role is uh, Area Director of Operations. Okay. So what I do is I oversee all three, all three courses. So East Potomac, Langston, and Rock Creek. Okay. Um, I support... The managers at each of those facilities, I help them um, make sure we're, you know, kind of following the plan as far as the NLT mission mm-hmm. for protecting affordable and accessible public or municipal golf, sure. and then at the same time, community involvement and all those things. Interesting. You did. You had this role prior. Yeah. So uh, back up a little further than that. Sure. So. Um, I was here at East Potomac for the previous operator, golf course specialist, and managed this course and helped out with uh, Langston and Rock Creek from 2006 to 2015. So I worked nine years, years, nine, ten years here, pretty intimately familiar with all the properties, the parts that work, the parts that don't work, and all that kind of stuff. Um, In 2015, GCS, or golf course specialist, with the Park Service was kind of put on a one-year renewal. So they only knew they were going to be here for a year. What year did that start? 2015 is when that started. Do you remember, do you know how long, because I think a lot of people are aware of that. I guess I didn't realize that it started that late. Like, when did they switch from a longer, I mean, you just said when they switched, but what what was the longer contract before that? Well, when I say longer, I think they had a three- or four-year contract before that. Which is a stark contrast to NLT's contract, which Correct. is like 50 or 60 years? Correct. And, and, that, and we'll get into that later, but that's, that's a big reason why the previous contractor was never really able to invest, right. and NLT is able to right. because of the, term, the contract term. But yeah, so um, in 2015, I left and uh, went to work uh, in El Paso for uh, Kemper Sports, running a municipal course down there, and honestly would still be there if it wasn't for COVID. COVID-19 happened, that municipality there needed to close the course because the airport lost 90% of its revenue. And so um, I was actually on my way to Florida when people that I know in Troon reached out and said, hey, we just got this deal managing these three courses in DC. 
we know you know all about them. What do you think about coming back? And we talked about it, and because of the vision NLT has and because of what we're going to do to these courses and not just continually run them the way they are, mm -hmm. but make them what they could be. Sure. Um, it was an exciting opportunity, and so I agreed to come back. Interesting. I, I guess I didn't, I didn't, my just assumption was that NLT hired you directly, but it was, it was Troon that knew your experience here, and so they reached out and said, hey. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just kind of curious. There, well, I, obviously, your history here gave you a huge leg up because you knew more about this property than just about anybody, but did did you still have was there still like a competitive process for this job are there other people involved did you have to interview with like will and well what's mike funny from what, what's funny is i knew mike and will because when they were built when they were starting to put together their concept for nlt they and i was working with kemper i was actually in el paso they reached out to me oh, really? and said hey listen um we know you were here for 10 years we this know after they won the bid or before? Before. Okay. So I knew them from before. Um, they had reached out and, and kind of picked my brain about what was, what were the issues with the properties? What do they need to be doing? They were, I talked so to for them. So for insight for them, so when I, they put together their bid. They correct. Had, right, I talked to them before they put their bid together to kind of give them the lowdown on the properties. Um, gosh, I don't know when that was. It was probably... 2013, 2014, something like that, I had talked to them. Um, so I knew them. Sure. So when um, Trina and I had talked, they, they said, hey, would you mind jumping on a call with Mike and Will? And, and I did, and we talked and kind of made sure that what I thought the opportunity was is what they had a vision for the opportunity. I wanted to make sure that, you know, I didn't want to jump into this and then find out later, oh, well, we don't want to do that yeah. uh, by NLT. So we kind of made sure everything was the right fit, and here we go. Was that already kind of lined up? Because I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember the timeline here. But they won the bid from National Park Service was like June or July of 2020. I think right? it was. I think it was. Well, put it this way: it was June 14th or 15th when I shut down Butterfield in El Paso, and I think it was June 21st or 22nd when they got the award for the proposal for the bid here. Got it. And then I got a call right after that. So NLT had already kind of chosen Troon before they won the bid because that all I, happened very fast. I think that was I think that was part and parcel. They were partners yeah. before they found out because sure. I think the way this process was is each kind of um, group that was bidding because NLT wasn't the only group that was bidding on this. Yeah. Um, each of those groups I think had part of their proposal was here's our partner that's going to run the operation for us and, mm -hmm. and they and everybody had right. kind that of aligned that had to be part of the bid sure. so i think tr the true relationship was already established prior to them being rewarded the bid that makes sense that makes sense um so i, I want to hear kind of uh, uh, some we have tons to talk about about nlt and the future of these properties and what's going on right now in the timeline uh, but before we get to that um, let's hear a little bit about kind of your your background and you know your your kind of career and history in golf. I mean, you, you kind of gave us the quick rundown of you worked at East Potomac for for, for nine ten years, then mm -hmm. went to El Paso. But you know, where where did you grow up? Where are you from? How did you get into golf? Did you play competitive golf? How did you how did you get into this game? I grew up in St. Louis. Okay. St. Louis kid, born and raised, Missouri Tiger on the chest. Okay. Uh, I. Uh, Got in the game a long time ago. I've been uh, I've been in the golf business for 37 years, wow. so a long time. Uh, been a PGA professional for 25 of those years. So I, I uh, gosh, I don't know. Got into the game when I was 
really, really young and um, started out working for a management company early on in my career and, and did a lot of traveling. Worked for Evergreen Alliance Golf Limited and traveled all over the country managing who, different properties. That? that was a management company. They're long gone. They've, okay. they've built up a bunch of courses and then sold them. I think they, I think that's the group that became Ar- Arxis, Arcus okay. after that. Okay. But worked for them for a long time and then ended up traveling and working for different uh, families and, and kind of have, have experienced everything from big-time management groups to family ownership to uh, when I came here to, to D.C. to a very small management group, a very mo- kind of mom-and-pop situation. How did how did you get hired with the golf course specialist at East Dover? I was... Uh, were you in D.C. already? No, I wasn't. We were in Hilton Head. Uh, and I was teaching down there and just doing some stuff. And my wife had a job down there. We were hanging out down there. And this opportunity became open. And honestly, we the only reason we looked at it is because D.C. reminded us of St. Louis. And the thing about Hilton Head was everything shut down at like 9 o'clock. You know, there's not much of a nightlife. What, in, a, what about D.C. reminds you of St. Louis? I, just the fact that there was professional sports. Okay. You know, there was, there, was, there was a nightlife after 9 p.m. Sure. Um, you right, know, right. the, the I an think actual city versus Hilton. an actual city. And I think the weather yeah. was similar. You know, there was an actual winter and stuff yeah. like that. And so we took a chance on it and uh, came up here and actually, actually loved it. Is there anything you can share? I think a, a lot of folks, I mean, I, I think the listeners of this podcast skew a bit younger. Mm-hmm. And so there, I don't think a lot of people by the, by by the time golf course specialist was already on a one-year um, situation, one-year situation with a renewal contract, and obviously their hands were tied. But I think because of that, all the average person, average golfer, saw was what was happening at the courses and didn't really know much about them. Is there anything? And, and so because of that, maybe had a negative view of them, even though they didn't yeah. know anything about them. And right. that might be myself included. Is there anything you can share just about? golf course specialists and your time with them and who they were and, and, and how difficult it was to, to run and manage a golf course when you only have a one-year renewable lease? Well, these courses are challenging, period, right? They're 100 years old. There's there's a lot of infrastructure issues because you're in a national park. So there, there's challenges just from the get-go if you want to do everything the right way. Um, when, I, when I came on in 2006, we were... You know there were huge challenges with the with the drainage, and that continues to be the case. Um, there was, you know, this whole relationship between the the concessioner, which was golf course specialist, and the park service. There was this whole. It was my kind of first experience, kind of seeing that whole relationship and how does that work, and mm-hmm. what are you allowed to do, what are you not allowed to do, what do you have to get approval for? All those types of things happen because the land, the 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 golf course here is the property of the park service. Right. So they have their own rules on what you can do. It's not like, oh, this this is broken over here. I'm just going to go fix it. Maybe you can do that. Maybe you can't. Sure. But also, was, isn't there, a, a, and maybe I'm wrong here, uh, but a significant difference in the way they, or, or the, what they were allowed to do because they were a concessionaire versus there, like the, the yeah, operator? There were different rules with regard to concessions agreement. And, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a laundry list of things. And I, I don't get into the specifics of it, but there was... Certain things that they were allowed to do, certain things they they weren't. You know, as a I know when the Park Service did this deal for NLT, they specifically made it a lease because a lease allows the operator more flexibility, more ability to do things. I know that um, 
you know, the hardest thing that GCS faced, I think, was a lot of the changes that needed to be ha that needed to happen here mm -hmm. were not minor; they were significant. Yeah. And significant changes, whether it's we're going to repave the entire car path system, sure. or whether it's going to we're going to redo the entire drainage system, or we're going yeah. to install an entire new irrigation system, or whatever those changes are. It's hard to do a three or four year project you, you when you only got a one year contract. You can't do that. Yeah. And these are more like ten year projects, right? right? Where you know, just yeah. to just to pay off what you invest and they just couldn't do those types of things and that was I think the biggest challenge that they faced and you know we were kind of we were managing in a situation where you're constantly putting band-aids on things that you'd rather just fix yeah um, that's one of the exciting things now where we're we're trying to not take that approach unless we absolutely have to we, we're trying to not just put band-aids on things but yeah. rather fix the cause and and, and uh, upgrade have, the facilities. We'll, we'll move on from this, but last question about it. Do you have any insight as to why the National Park Service essentially took so long and was doing one-year contracts for... I don't know that. They have their own timelines on yeah. things that they do based on the number of you know people that have to approve certain things. Yeah. And I, I can't really intelligently speak to that, so I yeah. don't really know. I know that they wanted to do it faster than they did, but they had to get a, they had to get appraisals and things like that done and there was it wasn't as simple as me just calling an appraiser yeah. and saying coming out and do it is um, golf course specialist still around like they, they didn't put a bid in for this lease right? no they didn't i think they're gone yeah. i think they because they, they, the they also operate uh, the gauntlet down in fredericksburg they did but i think they gave that to the guy that was running that down there so i think mike bird is uh running the gauntlet now but yeah. i think gcs is, is as far as i know gone away interesting um okay so that's that, that's that's the past. Let's get to let's get right. let's get, get to, to the let's get to now. Part. Get to the exciting stuff. The stuff yeah. that people really care about. Um, so now you're here. Now you're now you're running the three courses. You're back on staff, um, running things. Right. Um, why don't you start by saying you know what you've touched on it, but like what working. So the other big difference is National Links Trust is a nonprofit. Correct. And so they, everybody's well aware that Nestling's Trust kind of is in fundraising mode right. because the, their, their ambitious plans for the three courses, even though some of these architects are doing it pro bono, that still requires a lot of capital. Correct. Um, but I'm just kind of curious because you've, you've told me this in some of our conversations prior to today that just, that, you know, the way operating budgets with a nonprofit work is, you know, a little bit different, different and, you know, there's, you things you can do every month. I'm just kind of curious if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well... I, I, you're right. I mean, NLT is a nonprofit situation, and and because of that, um, you know, all the money that the golf courses produce um, doesn't go into a an owner's pocket. Instead, it goes into the fund to pay for the restoration and renovation of the product. Mm -hmm. So now, every golfer that comes out here to play golf, every person that comes to the range to hit balls, is actually supporting the cause. Sure. And they're actually supporting the cause to give themselves a better product, yeah. whether it's at the range or on the golf course. So that's that's uh, something that everybody should know. But um, does that? It, it must be challenging, especially since like I, I had Will Smith on the podcast, and he was laying out like kind of the timeline of you know Rock Creek, and then maybe I don't remember exactly what he said, but Lower Rock Creek, then Langston, then East Potomac, and I'll mm -hmm. ask you about that timeline in a few minutes. But but if you've got these huge projects on the horizon. You know, in the meantime, people are still playing golf and don't want to play on a, you know, a, a course. Of course, it's banged yeah. up. So you got to weigh. I imagine that's the challenge. It, it is. There's there's a constant um, analysis that you're constantly doing on on everything. And I think 
what we want to do is we want to try to continually improve the products and continually make them better. There's some things that it doesn't make financial sense to do. For mm-hmm. instance, you know, spending a million dollars to repave a cart path entire system if in a few years you're going to rip it up sure. doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you just leave it as is either. Yeah. You're, you're tr- we're tr- constantly trying to figure out what can we do to make it better than this even though we might not want to spend a million dollars. Maybe maybe you know we spend a couple yeah. You know, a hundred thousand or maybe or something sure. like that to, to make it sense. So there's and just, there's some equation where you say, okay, uh, just, a per- percentage of our revenue intake or you're, the you're trying, rate. you're trying to do that math sure. and figure out what makes sense to do because we, we are concerned about the experience and we are concerned about the product. And at the same time, there are things that we can do that, that we don't risk losing. For instance, you know, buying a, getting in a whole new fleet of golf carts and buying new maintenance equipment. Sure. Uh, on an annual basis, and changing that out is certainly going to have an effect. For instance, we've just started airifying the greens, and we've done that with a brand new air, airification unit. And the the quality of that process is dramatically different than what it was a year or two ago yeah. with a machine that was 10 years old. Yeah. So being able to get new maintenance equipment, being able to get new mowers, being able to get the the products that do those procedures. At a, at a higher quality, higher level, is only going to make the product better. Um, so there's things like that that we can do. Um, How does that work? Does, I, I imagine, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody's involved with the team effort, but, but NLT kind of says, okay, this is, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna break that down and then, then says, okay, Tim, here, here's, this, this is what's allocated for Langston, this is what's allocated for Rock Creek, this, or, or this is allocated for all the, you know, all the courses for this quarter or this month. And then it's up to you on how you want to spend that money, or how does that? We, we it's collaborative. Yeah. I mean, it's a collaborative effort. I mean, we're we're, but certainly, um, you know, we have a lot of resources inside Troon, and we have a lot of, um, and we're also listening to NLT and to customers, and you know, asking people what they think and and getting feedback from them. I mean, there's there's sure. a, it's a, it's a much bigger thing than just uh, I'm not sitting in my office going, okay, we're going to do this and this and this. Yeah. It's a much bigger process than that, but we're um, constantly looking to, like I said, improve the experience and improve the product as as we go through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and How, go ahead. I'm sorry, uh, I, I was I was going to ask. Well, let's let's talk about a little bit about um, what you have done because you know I've, I've yeah. been, I I just realized it's probably been at least a month since I played the blue course. So I heard you've got some new tee boxes over there or some elevated tees. We do that I haven't seen yet. I've played the I played the white course last week. We added a tee back on the white course, back in on that number, corner. Was it number five? Number five, I think. Yeah, which, I, which I've been playing the white course for years. That's like me and, me and my buddies, that's our go-to course to play first thing in the morning. Quick. And quick. Uh, Yeah, and we always look at that, that tee box back there for years and years. We're like, man, it'd be cool to, to, to hit from back there. Never, never have. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you, you don't have yardage markers up there. We shot it. I think it was, when we played it, it was maybe 240 or something. Yeah, it's, like, it's drivable, but you got to hit a good drive. What, are we calling that a par four? What are we, are we, what I are we doing? A, I think it's a it's a drivable par four. <laughs> okay, <laughs> a little risk reward for everybody out there. Um, and so, what did you what did you do on the blue course? So, on the blue course, um, there were some um, man made mounds up there that we that the superintendent that's been here, you know, back when I was here before and still here. Um, Drew and I had always talked a long time ago about boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a different view, an elevated view of some of these holes, and so. Um, we just decided to go up there and flatten them off and throw some sod up there. And it's a, it's an opportunity for us 
to change the experience a little bit, make mm -hmm. give it make it a little nicer, a little newer, and at the same time try out some grass that we want to see how it does. Yeah, that oh, we might cool. use down the road when it comes to renovations and things like that. So we're we're trying out new things and. and not just at East Potomac, but we built new tees at Langston as well. Mm -hmm. On um, number five back there in the corner, and uh, I think number eight, the par three. Yeah. So we've added some new tee boxes there. And we're going to continue to look for ways to, to do stuff like that where we can start to experiment a little bit with some turf and see some different things and see how it does. What, what grass is out there now? Uh, I believe Drew's got some a new... Uh, but what grass has been there like traditionally? Uh, it's Bermuda that's out there oh, now, and I think he's got a new. That's ever that, that's tees, fairways, and greens. No, the no, no Bermuda is the um, fairways and tees, and then he's got um, a variety of types of bent on the greens. Got it. And he's put different types up there over time just to see what's going to be more you know, disease resistant, heat resistant, things like that. So it's a, it's a mixture of Ben out there. But and Drew is the superintendent. Yeah, Drew's the superintendent. Is he and superintendent just for East Potomac or all three? No, he's our, actually, he's not a superintendent. That's scratch that. He's director of agronomy. He kind of supervises all three courses from the agronomic side. Okay. Do you so, have a superintendent? Um, we do. Liz Reese is the superintendent here. Got it. And then um, Bart Miller's the superintendent at Langston. Got it. Okay. So the, the, some of the grasses you are, or the, the team is experimenting with are ones just, what's, what's the motivation there? You know, what's more resistance to the, to the brutal summers here? I think or? we just want to see, it's just, it's new stuff that's coming out. We mm -hmm. just want to see how it performs. And, and, you know, again, try to get as much information as we can now as we go down that road. So when it comes time to do the actual renovation, we know what kind of turf we want to go with, yeah. why we want to go with it, um, you know, what... There's different visions for each property as far as how you want the turf to, to be and react. And for instance, this course is going to be link style. And a link style course is, is much more about, you know, a, a, a firm, mm -hmm. fast, uh, you know, turf that's yep. out there. So that you got rolls and bounces and things like that. Um, but none of the all courses are going to be that way. So there's some, there's some variety and one of the one of I think the the elephant in the room as far as challenges is that is uh, what's today today's Thursday the twenty third when this comes out <laughs> next week you look at look at what the what kind of rain we had yesterday on the twenty second um, yeah. yeah the Washington Channel is almost above fairly high this <laughs> point over there you look around the course and a lot of it yep. I know you guys have done a lot of work but that's going to be a a, uh, non a non-stop challenge drainage because this is an island in the middle of the river. Right. Drainage is going to be an issue for sure. And something that we know about and we've got to address with, with the plans. But also part of addressing that is going to be what happens with the seawall. And, and the park is working on trying to improve the seawall around the edge. And, and we'll be part of that discussion as well, hopefully, to, to make sure that it kind of fits with what we're trying to do to the golf course. But, yeah, there's going to be... There's definitely, I know that Mike and the guys at NLT and Tom Doak and all those guys are going to be, um, that will certainly be something that they take into account when they're doing the redesign, whether it's adding dirt or whether it's creating I mean, uh, opportunities for drainage. Obviously, they they're, they're confident and optimistic that they can pull it off. Oh, I yeah. imagine those are, those are conversations. Like, we're trying to build a firm and fast link-style course yep. on, a, on a course that's often underwater. Yeah. That's well, true. right. Yeah, and and there's reasons why. 
Yeah. And those things have to be addressed sure. and corrected. And, and, you know, as part of when you, when you scrape a place like this off and, and redo it, you're going to be looking at the reasons how that water, yeah. you know, there's, there's open valves on the seawall that's allowing water to come back in and, and come up in the golf course. Those things are going to have to be corrected. Yeah. All that stuff's going to have to be fixed. Um, you think about it right now, there's, the water's not coming up over the outside edge. It's literally, if there's water out there on the golf course, it's coming from the wall and then coming up in the, in the middle. Mm -hmm. And those things can be corrected, so. Yeah, I'm sure there's, it's going to take some engineering, but I'm yeah, sure it's, it's doable. Yeah, it's going to take some work, but I think it's, it's doable. Um, what about... Uh, let's talk about Rock Creek for a second because they've kind of had similar issues. Famously, the the back nine uh, really hasn't been operated. They, they opened you guys opened up five holes over there. I, got, I played it a few weeks ago. I loved it. Yeah, back uh, five loop, the five hole loop, the five hole loop. Yep. Um, you know, it's it's not Augusta quite no. yet. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. But, but it's still fun. You know, <laughs> the, the interesting part about that is of those five holes, right? Four of them are from the original back nine. So mm -hmm. ten and eleven. And 17 and 18 are from the original back nine. The the one hole that's not is number what what would be number 12 now, mm -hmm. um, which is actually a hole that's going to be part of the design of the new nine hole course when it's done. Right. So it's actually giving That'll golfers be number whether, seven on the new nine hole course or something. I'm somewhere. not sure what number it's going to be, but but I know the design and the hole is going to be part of the new nine hole yeah. course and. Uh, so it's actually giving golfers a preview of one of the holes for the new course, yeah. even though they may not know it yet. Yeah. So one of the reasons the back nine at Rock Creek has been closed until you reopen the five-hole loop is drainage issues. And and am I correct in thinking that there's even more? You know, this East Potomac Park length, they're all on National Park Service land. Right. But Rock Creek is even, I mean, it's in the famous, you know, Rock Creek Park. Right. And, you know, uh, I've, I've always heard, like, trimming of trees. And, yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily drainage issues back there. I, primarily what you've got is you've got uh, trees that haven't been trimmed for a long time, and they've overgrown. Sure. Uh, you've got invasive vegetation back there all over the place. Um, that really is putting some trees maybe in jeopardy with regard to... And with overgrowing trees, you know, they don't get... There's well, what, sun and the right, ground what, can't dry out. Right. What happens is basically the, the, the it prevents the grass from getting sunlight, so the grass is just... It struggles to grow back there. Yeah. Um, and that that's the biggest challenge. Um, obviously, Rock Creek never really had the infrastructure... Um, of a of a new course that was being built now, let's say where they have they don't have irrigation out there in the fairways, so the areas that really need the maybe a little bit more TLC because there's some growing issues, they don't have irrigation in the fairways to be able to even irrigate yeah. or do things there. The, the Rock Creek has irrigation around the greens and some of the tee boxes, but not the middle of the fairway. So when the new course is put, you know, when the course is renovated, restored back there, and and even on the, where the back nine is, I think that's where they're, that's where Gail Hans is going to be putting a par three course in. Um, right. So there's going to be there's some corridors back there that they can use for par threes, and so it's going to it's going to be exciting, uh, for sure. Um, before we get into the kind of the, the timeline of things, um, well, I'm, I'm curious what you know. You just touched on the, the Gil Hans par three, which I'm I'm super I, I'm a, I'm a fan of the plan. I'm super excited for that. I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, however, that, that day that you and I ran into each other when I was playing in the five-hole right. loop, right? I'm going to share this story because I'm just kind of curious. 
uh, we, you and I were chatting in right. the clubhouse, right? And a gentleman came in and paid his. I think he was going to, you know, play play nine, nine at Rock Creek, and he kind of overheard us talking about the plan. And I don't remember exactly what was said, but he was. It was clear that he wasn't a fan of it. Right. He did not like the. Well, he wanted the nine hole course on the back nine restored to the way it was originally. Sure. Right. That's that was what he wanted. Have you and, gotten a lot of that? I'm just kind of curious. I haven't. I'm sure that I'm sure there are people out there that are purists sure. and traditionals yeah. and and really want it to be exactly the way it was before, and they really love that carved out of the forest type mm -hmm. feel uh, of a of a nine hole course. Um, which you'll, which you'll still have in the par three course. I mean, there, there's will, gonna be, you're you going to get plenty of carved out of the forest. Yep, there's going to be plenty of that for sure. But, but it's uh, interesting. Like we, I, I brought, you know, um, recently went down and played uh, Belmont down right. in down in Richmond, right. which is very similar in the fact that they took a historic uh, Tillinghast mm -hmm. course that was 18 and and restored 12 and then did a six hole par three. And even though I think overwhelmingly people are supporting it and and think it's fantastic. You know, just looking on social media, there's still some detractors. Oh, sure. And and there's and listen, I don't. I mean, I don't want to speak for Mike or Will, but I don't know that you could come up with any plan that you're going to have. A, you know, a hundred percent of the people are going to think that's the right way to do it. There, there are going to be people that are going to think that's the wrong thing to do. Uh, and I think they knew that going in. But but overwhelmingly, I think for where the game of golf is right now and what we need mm -hmm. as golf courses from an, from a supply standpoint. Having more opportunities for beginners and kids, a place for them to play and not feel intimidated is, is not a bad thing. It's a yeah. good thing. And I, I think ultimately one of the initiatives of NLT is to grow the game of golf. And what better way to do that than to have a place where you can have people go play uh, a shorter round of golf, a quicker round of golf, not, as, not take as much time. Um, yeah, and, Rock, and, Rock, and Rock Creek, there's a ton of sense to do that since it's essentially you know, abutting a residential neighborhood and, you know, lots of families living up there. Yeah. Um, what about, so let's talk, uh, what, what can you share as far as, as far as timeline? Uh, you know, Will shared on this podcast a while back that Rock Creek was essentially, is essentially going to be the first one to get significant work on. Right. I, I, I would imagine most people when they see this podcast are going to tune in wanting to know more about the timeline everybody wants dates right <laughs> dates and times tim when when is it gonna and I, happen? i'm not gonna i'm not gonna press you on dates and times but what you know what can you share about where things stands where where you know ballpark where you know what what's yeah what's, ha I, what's happening i wish i had all this information that i was just holding all to myself that's really not the case uh this is not one of those situations um i can tell you that um nlt wants to get started as soon as we can um, there, we're going through the permitting and approval process with um, the Park Service. Um, I think, you know, hopefully we're looking at, you know, next year sometime. I don't know if that's going to be, you know, middle of the year, late in the year. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's I think that's our hope. That's where we're that's what we're working towards. But a lot of this stuff is not in necessarily our control. We, we're going through this this process, and, and you know, uh, luckily for us, the Park Service is, is trying to be as helpful as they can and trying to uh, speed things up. Because let's be honest, the Park Service wants these things improved too. The whole reason for this lease lease in the first place is to 
have a partner that's willing to invest and improve the asset. That's the reason they did this. So mm -hmm. they, they're, they're vested in this as well. They want these improvements to be made. They want that to happen as soon as they can, but there's still the process that we have to go through. And that, that's, that's kind of where it is. I don't, is the permit, I'm just kind of curious, as someone that you know I've lived basically my entire life in this town, I, I still know very little about per permitting and bureaucracy. Yeah. Uh, but is the permitting really with National Park Service or are other, yeah. are other organizations involved? I'm sure there's other organizations involved too. Yeah. But, the, but the process we're going through right now is with the Park Service. And they have... Um, I think the, the average person probably, you know, looks at that and just be like, well, the National Park Service approved it. They saw the, they saw the bid. Like, what's, right. what's the hold up now? Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I wish it was that easy. I, I know uh, the folks at NLT probably do, too. But, you know, there are, there are different departments within the Park Service, uh, departments like uh, natural resource compliance and... Um, and a lot of other a lot of other departments as well that have to go through anytime you're putting a shovel in the ground that might be in an area where there's archaeological archaeological things there's there's different levels that you've got to go through from a compliance standpoint and then you've got all the trees and what's going to happen to those and which trees are you allowed to remove which ones are you not allowed to remove and how are you going to remove them in such a way that to not damage that all these things and so there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of steps. Yeah. And and listen, we want to do it the right way. NLT is committed to doing this the right way. We want the golf course to be, you know, harmoniously connected to the to the forest there and to the community there. We want this whole thing to be a net positive. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, we want to go through the process as well. Um, Does the timeline kind of remain the same? I'm trying to re recall what what kind of Willard told me and what's out there, but essentially. Rock Creek's first, then Langston, then he's... Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, you know, I, it's possible. Again, not, the, that, the, I, the, not the, that I have any inside knowledge on this, but it's possible. The The first step at Rock Creek will certainly be to, to redo the clubhouse and redo the, the dri and build the driving range there. And that would be phase one. So at kind Rock of Creek. do that while the course is still open. Right. So the course stays open and the construction happens, you know, for the clubhouse and the driving range. And the clubhouse, uh, I remember, you know, Will said on this podcast that it's, you know, the idea is to make it much more food and beverage, much more of a, almost like to get some of the, the neighborhood and people in the city to come there, I think, whether or not they're playing golf or not. I think there's going to be, um, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement about the clubhouse there. Uh, the, the conceptual plans that I've seen um, are, are really exciting and unique. Cool. You're talking about a clubhouse that might be connected to the range so that the people could walk directly off the range into the, into the bar and restaurant. Nice. Um, it would be really cool in such a way that it would also have space for you know, community programming and instructional programming and, you know, first tee connectivity. And uh, there's right. a lot of different things there that I think would be really exciting. Um, so, yeah. And, and then know, phase two up there, once so once the so, range and clubhouse is built. So while that's going on, it's conceivable and maybe even possible that we might also be doing the Langston range at the same time if okay. the approval process comes through. What, so, what, what's going on in Langston Range? Is, is it staying where it is? It's just getting upgraded? It's staying where it is, but it's going to be upgraded significantly. It's going to be, uh, I, I, the, plan, the conceptual plans that I've seen for that include a, a two-level range, kind of similar to what we have here at okay. East Potomac, a double-decker range built brand new on one end towards the 10th tee box, have kind of a, 
uh, a space area there where you could have a, you know, maybe a, a small snack bar for people at the turn. At the other end, have space for the Howard University golf teams and their space for their facility. So um, improving that experience and product and at the same time providing some other stuff there. So it's conceivable that, you know, it might not be all of Rock Creek first and then start Langston. It might be, hey, we're going to, if both plans are approved, we're going to do both ranges at the same time and then do the Rock Creek Golf Course and then get on the Langston Golf Course. So it's, there's a little bit of flexibility and flux. We're not, everything's not written in stone. We're, we're able to adjust depending on the approval process because, yeah. like I said, what we want to do is get things going as quickly as we can to affect that stuff for the consumer. So if it's possible to do both at the same time, I think we'd be open to that. Langston's going to be uh, worked on by Bo Welling and his, his design company and team. Correct. Um, I'm just kind of curious specifically about the range and the tent hole. Right. There's two, well, I guess two, two different questions about that. One, I, don't, I, I guess I don't know this history. Was the tent hole before the range? Cause, and I'm asking because like, I've, I've had conversations with friends. It's like, it almost seems like the range... It seems to me, and I have no idea, but it seems like the range was almost like put there afterwards and it took up a bunch of the fairway of number 10. Is that accurate? Do you know? I, I don't know. That was before me, so I can't answer that question. And my uh, second part of the question was, you know, so as you rebuild the range, like, will, will, will uh, Bo Welling and his team maybe say, you know what, can we, can we have some of this fairway back? Or, like, will he be consulted on that? Um, I, for sure. And I think the, I think the, the end result there, the, the, what needs to happen, is we just need to get a, a nice big netting going along that along that left-hand side of the range, mm-hmm. move the cart path to inside the net, and where the cart path goes right now, kind of down what might be the middle of that fairway, mm-hmm. where the fairway is just on the left-hand side, if that cart path was removed, that would widen that fairway significantly. Um, so I think there's, there's something in the works on, on that type of deal. But honestly, again, that's Bo's call. Yeah. Um, and and obviously they'll work with that. But I know, you know, as the Langston range gets busier, as we make improvements to that facility and, and it gets busier, we're going to have to have netting along that right-hand side of the river so that yeah. people keep stop pumping balls into the woods and the river. Sure. And on the left-hand side to keep balls from going into 10 fairway. So um, that'll just have to be part of the improvement out there. Uh, over at Langston, I, I, I got one invite, and I, I, re, I regret not being able to do it personally, but, you know, you guys did a, a caddy program over there this summer. It's fantastic. Really, really popular. Is that still going on, or is it done? Uh, I think we've still got some kids that are doing it on the weekends. You know, I, obviously, right? they're in school now, so I, I'm not sure how many of them are still doing it on the weekends, but I think we had some kids that are doing it on the weekends through maybe October. Uh, but I know it, I know we're going to expand it next year. Hopefully, even maybe have it over here at East as well as, as at Langston. I've met a couple of the kids. I, I know people that have taken the caddies know this as well. But they're just fantastic kids. And that was facilitated in part or in partnership with Craig Kirby over at the Golf My Future My Game. Do I have that right? Yeah, Craig. Craig's part of the board at NLT, and and his group, Golf My Future My Game, certainly uh, took the lead on trying to get that uh, program up and going. And it, it's in conjunction with the Western Golf Association, who did a lot of the funding for it, and okay. then was able to, uh, you know, help out with paying the kids for their loops and things like that. So it's so are uh, golfers not. Were they not paying the caddies? The loops were provided by Western Golf Association. Golfers tip the caddies. Got it. So if you and so if I want if I want to go out to Langston next Saturday to get a caddy, what's that process? 
Um, call, call the course. Yeah, out. yeah. You well, no. You, you would. Uh, you could reach out to the course, and they're going to direct you to uh, Bernard Creamer, which is the guy that's organizing all the caddies. And okay. Bernard would get you scheduled. Got it. Okay. Get you set. The plan for Langston Hill still kind of remains the same. I know Mike and Will have, have talked about how, as far as the actual layout of the course, that's by far the least amount of work at Langston because it is. It's 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 a good layout, especially especially the back nine. I, you know, it's interesting. I. It, certainly, Langston has the best topography, the best land, I think, of, yeah. of the three courses to really do something creative with. Yeah. But one of the big projects that hopefully we're going get to get started to work on this fall, if we you know, get the finished approval to do it, is in conjunction with the Anacostia Watershed Society, and that is to remove a lot of the invasive vegetation along the Kingman Lake and along the Anacostia River. And yeah, open up those views. And when you open up those views and you open that stuff up, it's really going to allow Bo to get a lot more creative with where he puts greens, where he puts tees back there on that island. You can actually, for instance, number 10, which is that par 5 that kind of ducks to the right at the very end, mm -hmm. that might, that could end up being a par 4 where that green is tucked along Kingman Lake. Yeah. And, and where you actually go out into the, you know, almost as a peninsula where you go out into sure. the lake a little bit if you build, you know, put a wall up and build a green back in there. So there's a lot of interesting things that he can do with regard to playing diagonally across that island instead of right down the middle of it. Mm -hmm. That brings the water into play off and makes the views more exciting, both from the tee box standpoint and from the green standpoint and on those holes. Uh, so there's there's some things that I think he's going to be able to use the same land, mm -hmm. but maybe make things a little bit more dramatic, maybe add some length to the golf course, which I, I know the folks from Howard would be happy about because those college kids, you know, they like the courses as long as they can have them. Sure, sure. Um, now that we're kind of, I don't know, with this, this, this variant, but it seems like we're, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know how to phrase it. See, but it seems like we're on the tail end of this pandemic. I hope we are. Knock on yeah, wood. Yeah. Um, but the, the clubhouse is, is reopened over at Langston. I haven't, I haven't been over there. Yeah, long. we've got the clubhouse opened at, at all three places. Where where you know these these properties though are because the Langston clubhouse is, is it was always such like a big part of clearly part of the community. I mean, you yeah. go in there, the guys are just having coffee, having breakfast, hanging out. Yeah. Regardless of playing golf or not. Yeah, we we've. We're, what I was getting ready to say is we're dealing with a little infrastructure issue over there with regard to the roof that's really old and some leaking in the kitchen that's caused some damage that we're trying to get worked on and fixed and things like that. But we know that clubhouse is, is really important to the community. We've, we've already spent some money on getting some new TVs in there and get, adding Sunday ticket, which has been received pretty well, as nice. you can imagine, sure. with the Washington football fans we have in this town. So. Uh, there's some things we're trying to do to make that clubhouse a little a little bit more exciting and, and newer, but uh, you're right. It's it's an important part of that facility and the fabric of that place. Um, what else is going on? So we're sitting we're sitting here in uh, again my first tee in the in the putting green. Uh, tell me, tell me about this. If, if you've been, to, if you've been <laughs> yeah. to East Potomac, you'll see this big kind of trailer right here. That's relatively yeah, new. That's our new club repair trailer. We partner with uh, a guy that I knew from before, a guy named Scott Bacarix, and he's got his own club repair service. And we basically partner with him, and he uh, has this trailer out here, and is here four days a week. I think Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And he is uh, the the exciting part is he does club repair while you wait. Cool. So if you're walking to the range or you're walking from the range, you can literally drop a club off to him, go hit balls, and while you're hitting balls, he'll regrip your clubs, he'll check your lies and do the reshaft if you need or lengthen or shorten the clubs, all that kind of stuff. He's 
he's capable of doing. And, and the fact that people don't have to leave their clubs and then come back and pick their clubs up later, it, it, to me, is a, is a huge benefit. Yeah. And people really seem to like it. So. Yeah, that wasn't a service available here ever, really. Well, they did, club, they did regripping once upon a time, but the problem was the guys doing the regripping were also the guys working the counter. And so gotcha. it was, you might leave your clubs and it might be a week or two before you got them regripped, depending yeah. on how busy that person was, because they weren't solely dedicated and focused on doing that. Yeah. Um, some other fun things going on. So this is, this, when, when this podcast is published, um, it'll be a few days, hopefully, before you guys are doing an anniversary party of at Rock Creek. Yeah, we're doing an anniversary party Saturday, on, on the... October 2nd. Okay. Uh, certainly go to uh, nationallinkstrust.com and you can get the details on that. We're going to have a little party up there, kind of celebrating our one year. I think we took over October 5th last year, so it's basically the one year anniversary. Nice. Um, Family so... friendly, I saw. Some face, face painting along with some adult beverages. And yeah, all kinds of good stuff. Okay. Um, and then the big one that NLT's really been promoting is this uh, symposium on municipal golf that you got coming up. Right. And that is, let me pull my notes up here. That is in November on the, uh, the 8th through the 10th of November. And again, you can get the details on that um, at nationallinkstrust.com. But, you know, this is uh, something that's important, obviously, to... NLT into what we're trying to do, but also talking with other industry leaders. We've got Seth Waugh coming up from the, the PGA, who's the CEO of the PGA, to come up and speak as the featured speaker. But there's there's a lot of going to be a lot of good panels talking about sustainability and community impact and obviously growing the game, which is important to me. Uh, but one of the really exciting things, I think, is there's going to be some panels on architecture, and some of the architects that are connected to these projects are going to be here. So... What better way to ask a question of Tom Doak um, about East Potomac or ask a question? Tom Doak will be at the symposium on that panel. I I believe they've got a – don't quote me on that yet, but I believe – He might be, so look it up. Go go to National Express. I think think, uh, (laughs) Bo Welling and I think Tom Doak are coming. I think Gilhan's had a conflict, so I don't think he's there. But a couple of the guys I think are going to be there and on panels talking, and I'm sure there's going to be a QA. and a Sure. And you could actually ask – so if you're not, if you're not gonna, getting the timeline answers that you want out of this podcast, yeah, buy a ticket to the symposium. There you go. <laughs> and I, I doubt he's going to have much different information than us, but he will be able to answer, hey, are you going to build East Potomac? Is the design going to be reversible? What does that mean? Sure, sure. Is, what, is, is it going to be link style like St. Andrews? What does that mean? You know, yeah. Things like that, I think you could get some interesting uh, feedback from those guys. I would imagine, you know... <sighs> Tom, I mean, Tom Doak's got so much experience really working all over the world that I'm sure he's encountered some similar situations that have draining issues, drainage issues to, to hear that he's, I'm sure he's got some input. Yeah, I, I um, would think so. How, do, do, does, does National Trust envision, you know, because I, I, I looked on the website and uh, for the symposium and, you know, I know one of the things they're offering is like PGA credits for PGA professionals. Mm-hmm. Like, who, who are they really marketing it to? I mean, do they expect, like, the average golfer from D.C. to go to that? Or are they, are they getting people from all over the country? Like, what? You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm not really it's sure. the first one. Yeah, it's the first one. So I'm not, I don't know that they really know what, what is going to is be. Is the concept is, to make it annual? or? I believe they want to do it more than once. I'm not sure if it's going to be annual or every two years or, you know, what the timing of it would be. Um, I think that might depend. I mean, what we're what we're doing here, you know, potentially could change municipal golf in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, this could be a concept that 
And I think that's the vision is to take this concept and once these courses are done, you've got the proof of concept in place, you can go yeah. do this at other places. So, you know, this might be a once every two years, once every three years thing. I don't know, maybe maybe once a year. I'm yeah. not sure. And that, I, I think it's something that, you know, everybody in D.C. that plays these municipal courses is got a vested interest in. Sure. Sure. And that's happening right across the street at the yeah, at the right across Southwest, the street at the uh, Southwest Wharf. Waterfront at the Intercontinental, I believe. So they're going to run some more Jitney boats and get people across the street to play I, some golf? I know we're going to be doing a range event over here oh, yeah. uh, as part of it. I know there's a Langston golf tournament at the end of it, uh, so they'll be, we'll be playing Langston. Um, one of the other things that we're, it's kind of in the works that we're talking to and looking at and investigating and hopefully can work something out on is... Uh, Doing top tracer technology at the at the driving ranges and having uh, here at here at East Potomac and at Langston, having that opportunity for people to to hit shots and play different look at the screen and play different courses and play the games and sure. get their numbers on you know here's your spin rate here's your launch angle here's your distance all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. uh, that's something that we're talking to and I think would be really exciting uh, exciting uh, improvement. Um, An Another big thing that we, we touched on that's coming up, um, maybe you can touch on, is I had um, a few of the guys, Justin Harrison, right, um, who uh, runs my brother's birdies, but it was also the kind of the main cog in putting together the Capital Long Drive Capital event. Long Drive event, yep. which happened. I forget the, I forget the name of the field over by the monuments. It's West Potomac West Park. West Potomac Park. Yep. Um, right on the mall. But there. that's happening here this year, right? Yeah, well, as part of that event, part of that Capital Long Drive event, Justin does a charity fundraiser for My Brother's Birdies. And uh, because of the, I think, proximity and the closeness of uh, this location to where they're doing the Long Drive event, I, they've opted to try to do that event here this year. So we'll oh, okay. be doing so the, the, some, the, so the, the charity event will be here. The charity the fundraiser. The Long Drive will be in the same location. Correct. Got I it. think okay. so. So the charity fundraiser, I think, is scheduled for uh, October 24th. And they're gonna they're gonna close down, I believe, the the blue course, the eighteen hole course, and the nine hole course. So they're gonna do a nine hole event and an eighteen hole event fundraiser, have the place for the whole day, and um, certainly you can um, go to mybrothersbirdies.com and look that up, or uh, NLT should have details on that. Yeah, as well. I encourage people to to check that out. I actually ran into Justin at a first tee event not too long ago, and he was telling me there's gonna be some changes to that, maybe some maybe some celebrity involvement this year. So that could be. I, I know of at least one celebrity that's gonna be there that yeah. was that was a participant in the long drive of that. Yeah, last so, year. So, so that, that that'll be. I'm excited for that. So it should um, be good. Uh, well, there's one other thing yeah. before we go that's that's uh, upcoming that I think people are gonna get excited about. At least I hope so. Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, we've invested in a food truck. Okay. We're going to have a food truck set up uh, here pretty soon at East Potomac during the week and at Langston on the weekends nice. at the driving range. So that should be uh, something that's going to be exciting. We're in the process of doing some finishing detail work and working with the park on getting it set up. And The idea to have like a, uh, a food truck that's kind of here on a quasi-permanent basis or like a ro rotating food truck? Well, I think what we want to I think what we want to do is right now have it here during the week, and it's certainly next to the driving range here where there's so much activity during the week, mm -hmm. and on the weekends um, move to Langston where you know they they need something down there at the turn that they don't have, and support the driving range down there on the weekends as well. So 
uh, it would be moving between locations on a weekly basis. But I think it's something that the golfers here during the week and certainly the range customers during the week are going to really take advantage of and get excited by. And I know, I know it's going to do well at Langston on the weekends as well. Nice. So that's uh, something that's uh, around. Are the you allowed to here. share what, what kind of what kind of cuisine we're talking about? Uh, well. <laughs> TV I, am, I am far from the chef, so I don't want to get too too much in the weeds on that. But I will tell you that um, some of the things we're looking at, obviously, what makes what makes food trucks great. So we're looking at street tacos would be nice. one of the items. Maybe some pulled pork and pulled chicken sliders and things like that. So Very it cool. should be uh, something quick, yeah. but good. The other update that that happened here over the course of the last few months is uh, we got three new logos, a whole bunch of a whole bunch of new branding happening at all yep. three courses. Of, all um, the new brands are now in place and done. Shout out to the team over at uh, Sugarloaf yep. Creative and Sir Sugarloaf Social they Club. They did a good job up. on that, and I would encourage anybody um, that's interested in getting some garments. If you can't make it to the courses, go to the uh, website playdcgolf.com and go to the online store, and you can go to the National Inks Trust online store, which is. Uh, managed by Full Turn Direct, and you can get any of the garments that are on that store with any of the logos you want. Yeah. So cool. if you want to put the Langston logo on a shirt and the National League Trust logo on the sleeve, you mm -hmm. can create, custom create your own garments and uh, get whatever logos you want. Yeah. Um, the uh, particular uh, it's on the on the logos and branding, the the, the Langston ones, you know, they they did a little uh, homage to both what the Wake Robin Golf Club uh -huh. and the the Royals, Royals right? right? Yep that that logo is. Uh, Have you got any feed, feedback from those clubs? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's very positive, and I think yeah. the people that are connected with those clubs are certainly going to want that logo yeah, because sure. it's. Uh, if you didn't know that, you might not know what the, what the image is. But the the flower on the front is the Wake Robin flower, and the the crown behind it is an homage to the Royals. So, uh, which are we, which are two the oldest long-standing African American golf associations. Men, men, the men, uh, which are the Royals are men's, Wake Robin is is ladies, correct? Yeah, they're the oldest uh, African American golf associations in the country, men's and women's. Oh, really? Wow. And. Uh, and they're a, a huge part of the history of Langston. So mm -hmm. we wanted that logo specifically. We wanted to make sure that it paid uh, paid homage to that history. Got it. Uh, last thing I'll, I'll, I want to touch on, and maybe I'll splice this back into an early part of the conversation. But um, you told me also that um, you you're not you, you you've hired someone essentially to report to you to run each of these courses. Is that right? You recently hired we're, a. We're in the process. Yeah, we're in the okay. process. We've got uh, we've got a GM here at East Potomac. Okay. Um, we're in the process of, of getting one in place at Rock Creek, and we have one at Langston as well. So yeah, we're. And the GM here came from. 1757. Nice. Yep. What's his name? Dave Ahart is Dave his name. Dave Ahart. Yep. Excellent. And so, with the idea that then you'll you'll kind of oversee all three the operations at all three, right? Got it. Yep. Very cool. That's um, well. That's you know I I, I really appreciate you uh, sharing some insights about uh, what's what's happening here at all three courses the the, the no, past present and future. Um, it's exciting times right now. As when I was prepping for this for this uh, for this conversation, uh, I came across a video. Yes, folks can, can look it up. That uh, <laughs> but there's two funny things. So so you won. Both Mid Atlantic PGA, what was the award? The, the the Player Development Award. Player Development Award in 2013, and then in the national in like the 2015. Right. Yep. Yeah, I won the section award for the Mid Atlantic section in 20, 2013, and then uh, was awarded the national award for the PGA in 2015. One of the quotes the Mid Atlantic PGA president John Gull said that 
about Tim Krebs was that he was a revenue-producing machine. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's not a, that's not a terrible quote to have, I guess. That's that's, that, that's helped quite a bit. Um, but to, but you know, that means you you have a lot of your career where you were helping golfers get better. Do, Creating do, do you, golfers. Do you miss it? that aspect though? Do you, you don't still give lessons, do you? Uh, very, very limited. There's some okay. people that I taught when I was here before Got it. that, uh, if they came and some of them have, if they've come and ask, Hey, can you help me? Then yeah, I've got a vested interest in that person, but we've got a huge Academy here. We've got great instructors here, you know, people that are coming in brand new, I'm going to direct them to those guys. But, uh, but yeah, do I miss the, the connecting with the golfers and watching them improve and getting to the point from, um, intimidated to go on the golf course to now I want to go play and now I'm ready to play in a, an event and things like that. Yeah, there's there's certainly parts of that that you miss. Yeah. Uh, there, that's an exciting thing to help somebody get comfortable enough to go play on the golf course. And that's that's what these places are all about. We, we're This place, specifically East Potomac, but certainly Rock Creek and where we're trying to take that, these places are made to create golfers. That's what we want to do. We're not uh, We're not trying to be you know, the next place to host the Ryder Cup. Mm -hmm. That's really not what we're trying to do. But we want to grow the game. We want to be a positive impact in the community. We want to help kids uh, learn this sport and stay with the sport. And uh, if we can do that, then we'll be successful here, but we'll be successful for the game of golf, too. Yeah. Uh, one, I keep thinking of other things I want to bring up. One, no, one other one that I know that's been popular here recently, and I, and I ran, I'm forgetting the gentleman's name, but I ran into him, but is it PBF Sports? Yeah, Eves. Eves Zamar. Right, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I didn't even know how that's how you pronounce it, but I, <laughs> yes. I, I met him here a few weeks ago, and I follow him on, on social media. Yeah, Eves but is he, great. He, he kind of leads, what's, what's his role? Uh, Eves is part of a group of people that, that own a, um, a, I guess, a sports league company called PBF Sports League, and Eves started playing golf last year, I guess in the middle of the pandemic, he was looking for something to do. Mm -hmm. And they, they run flag football leagues and they run kickball leagues. And they run a lot of those things that all the Capitol Hill staffers and, you know, young people are a part of. Yeah. And probably many of the people in your, in your podcast audience will probably know about this. But yeah. um, he came to me when we first took over and said, hey, I think I want to try to start a golf league right. and see if we can get. And they did some open practices and just see if people wanted to come, and they had a huge following, and they've um, they've grown now to. They did a league at Langston last summer. They've done a couple leagues now at East Potomac. They're doing a league in the fall. Um, they're really growing by leaps and bounds. But yeah, that's again just another example of more people wanting to learn the sport and and take advantage of, you know how it can help them in their business life as well with sure. going to play in tournaments and all that kind of stuff. So. Are there many other leagues? We've got, to, you used to have a league here, right? Yeah, we've got we've got different leagues. We, you know, some of them are internal and external, meaning some of yeah. them are groups like we have the IRS has a league here, yeah. and HHS Health and Human Services has leagues here. What day is that? I had some complaints about my, right. uh, my <laughs> taxes. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're good guys to know if you need help. Uh, but you know, we've also got you know groups from the construction sites over there, construction sure. companies that come over and want to do leagues yeah. in the summer, and so it's. You know, there's all different kinds of things. We have the LPGA League, yeah. 
that's out here on Thursday nights. Um, I'm sure that's helped. Actually, my, my brother-in-law is a project manager for um, for uh, DPR, one of the uh, one of the companies that's putting up one of the buildings in, in Phase Two of the Wharf, and uh-huh. he's got our he's got our nephew over here just just picking up golf and is part of the first tee, and he's got another former podcast guest as his as his teacher at the first tee, Lenard Long. I know Lenard yeah, very well. They're, they're, he's getting getting him going and trying to train another little little Beltway golfer. I remember when Lenard was this big, just learning oh, yeah. in the first team. Oh, very cool. Great golfer. Very cool. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some things, but I think uh, I've taken up enough of your time. I think this has been great. I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much, Tim, for coming on and oh, my pleasure. sharing some stories and insights and, and everything that's going on here at uh, East Potomac, Langston, and Rock Creek. You got it. Thank you, Tim. I don't have... A good golf game, but I don't really care. I'm a I'm a regular dude living in D.C. and I want to know about D.C. centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I don't want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. But I want it to be about D.C. golf. 